Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Father, thank you for your word. It is life to our dry bones. It puts flesh on our bodies. Thank you for speaking to us today. I pray that your word would go forth and accomplish that which you said in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. amen. Man, having everybody together reminded me of this scripture we read about in the book of Acts. And um, after Jesus had ascended, he told the disciples to go and wait together for the coming of the Holy Spirit, who would come and empower them to accomplish his mission in making disciples of all the nations. And the Bible said that these people were in one accord. They were in one accord. They were all together in one place at one time. But that phrase, one accord, it carries a whole lot more. It's a, there's, more there's a more important connotation. Um, it means more than they were just in one place at one time. It actually means that they were of one heart and of one mind. That type of unity it wasn't, it wasn't just this physical, we're all together, viewable from the outside unity, as if we were all doing the same thing. It was, it was so much more than that. It, it, was, it was this mental and an emotional from the inside out. Listen, they were believing the same way. And I was thinking about our service and our time together, and that phrase just rung in my head. So I said, well, let's just talk about it for a while. Let's use this opportunity we have to come together as one service and talk about what it means and what it could look like if, in fact, there were people from all different walks of life that could come together under one roof, under one banner, and say, Jesus is Lord and Savior. What can he do and use us to accomplish in our world? That one accord phrase in the, in the Greek comes from two basic words. One word, homo, meaning the same, and thymos, meaning passion. There was a group of people that had one passion for what God wanted to do in their hearts and minds. People would see them in unity, and this is the, this is the amazing part. When you read the New Testament, the church didn't spread because there was a lot of cool people saying a lot of good things. The gospel spread because there was a lot of different people doing a lot of the same things. And they were believing and thinking the same way. And you had people from different parts and different walks of life that were walking together, doing the same thing. And they were crossing political boundaries. They were crossing genealogical boundaries. Different ages were doing things together. Different races were doing things together. And it wasn't just what was said that was making a difference. It was what was done and what was showing. That's what I mean when I say they were in one accord. And to think that you could get that many people together that different. I mean, just look around this room for a second. There are people here that don't look like you, don't vote like you, don't watch the same news that you watch, don't live in the same part of town, don't drive the same vehicles, don't dress like you. Couldn't be more different from the people around you, yet in a place like this, God can come and bring all of us together in one accord. Isn't that amazing how he does that? It's no wonder the gospel spread. No wonder, there's no other place on the planet where you can get this many different people together in one mission, in one heart, going in one direction. And people from the outside saw what God was doing here on the inside, and they said, I want to be a part of that. That's something I can't get anywhere else. You know, you don't change a life from the outside in, right? You don't change a life from the outside in. Behavior modification does not lead to belief. 
You change a life from the inside out. God changes your beliefs and then you start to behave differently. Belief leads to that behavior modification. Can I tell you, you don't change a culture from the outside in. You can try to change a culture by telling people what to do, but it doesn't work that way. You change a culture from the inside out by showing people what to do. And there's no shortage of people in this world that will try to tell people how to live, but there is a shortage of people who will stand up and show people how to live and have that love of God that's on the inside of them come out. I want us to be the kind of church that will show them how to live, not just tell them how to live. And that's why I love the book of Acts. The book of Acts is not a history of how they told people about the gospel. It's a history of how they showed them what the gospel looked like. And if we're going to impact this community, we're going to have to show them what the gospel looks like. Because if we can show them what it looks like for somebody of two different walks of life to come together and still pursue the same mission of Jesus, how many of you know they'll be open for us telling them the gospel and what it looks like as well? And we're going to spend a lot of our time, the majority of our time in the series over the next several weeks in the book of Acts And no apologies, but I have a lot of scripture to read to you today. A lot of scripture. That's okay. We can, we can do that. I never, listen to me. I never want to take for granted that people have a level of biblical literacy. I think it's dangerous. I think it's dangerous for us to come and assume that everybody has grown up reading your Bible and reading the same Bible stories that many of us had the privilege of doing. There, if, 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 if I take that assumption and just assume that everybody has this level of biblical literacy, we, we may miss a couple people. I was having a conversation with Ryan in our, in our, in our kids' ministry uh, just two weeks ago, and he was saying, Pastor Don, I, I got up and I shared a story that I thought was a pretty common story from the Bible, and so were some kids looking at me like they didn't even know what I was talking about. And he said, I have to stop taking for granted that kids today grew up hearing the same stories that I grew up reading in the Bible as well. Can I tell you how grateful I am to have a children's guy sitting right over there who is focused on making sure that our children don't just leave here having fun and feeling good about themselves, but leave here with a level of biblical literacy that will carry on and affect their lives for generations to come. So we're going to do that. We're going to spend some time in scripture today, and I'm going to start by telling you just briefly about how the book of Acts came to be, how it relates to our Bibles. If you just open your Bible to the New Testament and start reading in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you are reading what we call the Gospels. It is a story of Jesus and his life on earth earth and ministry, and it was written by four individuals. We get the names of those books by the individuals that we believe wrote those books. Matthew was a tax collector, one of the original 12 disciples of Jesus. He walked with him. He wrote this account of that, and that's where we get the name Matthew from. Mark was believed to be an assistant of sorts to Peter, one of the disciples that walked with Jesus, and his account of what happens is where we get the gospel of Mark. You have John also who shares. John was the one, you got to love John. John was the one who refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Anybody have any siblings like that? Like, like you know mom and dad love everybody, but they act like they're the favorite. That was John. John's account of Jesus' earthly ministry was just that. And then you have this guy named Luke. Now, Luke was a Gentile. He was not a Jew by birth. He was a physician, and he walked and was a traveling partner with Paul. And Luke's account 
was written very specifically as a letter to a wealthy individual who wanted to know what was going on, who life had changed, the gospel he had witnessed had changed his life. And so he commissioned Luke to write this account. Here's, here's what we see. This is how Luke starts his gospel. This is Luke 1, 1 through 4. It says, many people have tried to tell the story of what God has done among us. They wrote what we'd been told by the ones who were there in the beginning and saw what happened. So I made a careful study of everything and then decided to write and tell you exactly what took place. Honorable Theophilus, I have done this to let you know the truth about what you had heard. Luke's gospel was written by a guy who had been changed by Christ, who was not part of this Jewish culture, but was writing a letter to somebody else who wanted to know what was going on. And all you read on the stories of Jesus through Luke's gospel are written in that account. Everybody follow me so far? Let's continue on, because Luke also wrote Acts. Now, Acts is the next book in our New Testament, and it really serves as this historical account of the church once Jesus raises from the dead and then ascends into heaven to be with the Father, what happens next? All these disciples go out and they spread the gospel and they do the things that God called them to do. And that's where the book of Acts come from. It's the Acts of the Apostles. But interestingly enough, look how Luke starts that very next book in Acts. He says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach, and until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs. In other words, he showed them that he was, he was alive, and he appeared to them during 40 days, and he was speaking about the kingdom of God. All the stories that we have about the early church, what they did, how it grew, the people who were involved, all come from Acts. And Luke is about to pick up in the story we're going to read here. Jesus is about to ascend to the Father. And here's what we see in verse 4, Acts chapter 1. It says this, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. But Jesus said to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, it's important that you understand a few things about this passage. He's talking about, I want you to go wait in Jerusalem. There's a promise coming to you. What was the promise? The Holy Spirit was going to come to them. And then he says this weird thing that kind of is a little out of place. He says, for John baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, you got to understand this thing about John's baptism. Can I teach you for just a minute? What was so interesting about John's baptism, in the Jewish culture, when, in order to be a Jew, there was a ceremonial washing that would take place in order to purify yourself to be able to become a Jew. They didn't go and just baptize the way John was baptizing. It was a private thing. It was a ceremonial thing. You had all these things to do, these things to memorize, these things to say. You would go off and you would ceremonially wash yourself to become a Jew. John comes and starts talking about this repentance because the kingdom of God is at hand and he's taking people and he's baptizo, he's baptizing them in the water. This was not a private thing. This was a very public thing that was taking place at this time. That's what blew everybody's mind about John the Baptist and why all these crowds were gathering because this wasn't just any ceremonial washing. This was a big deal that was happening. This was not just something personal 
and private. This was very public and relational. So what do you think was on their minds when Jesus would say, hey, go and wait for the Holy Spirit. John baptized you with water, but the Holy Spirit's going to baptize you, or you're going to come and be baptized in the Holy Spirit. How many of you can think just for a second, what are we expecting? Not something that you would anticipate. Let's keep reading. This baptism would be unique too. Verse 6, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Look at this. But you will receive what? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Kayla and I had a privilege, kind of a bucket list item for us a couple years ago. We got to go to Israel, and uh, we took a guided trip and a tour to Israel. I want to go back, and I want to bring as many of you with, with me as I can um, when we go. It was, it was phenomenal, and we were, we were with the tour guide, and we're kind of touring and visiting all these places that I had read in my Bible and to see, and I think it was Jack Hayford that said, one week in Israel is equivalent of a whole year in seminary, and it was something about just being there and seeing those things. And I remember one time specifically, we were driving around not far from Jerusalem and our tour guide said, hey, we're in the area called Judea. And I'm reading my Bible. So I kind of, okay, I got it. He said, you see over there in the distance, kind of the mountains that are in the horizon, that's Samaria. And as soon as he said that, this verse quickened in my spirit. And it reminded me as if Jesus were saying in that moment, you're going to be my witnesses right where you are as far as you can see, and even beyond that. Even beyond that. I'm like, that's what he meant. Sometimes we can think, you're going to be my witnesses. Oh, it's just in my area. No, God had a mission day one for this to not just stay there, but to continue to go and beyond where they thought it would go. Let's keep reading. I'm getting sidetracked. Verse number nine. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Can you imagine having a conversation with somebody, telling you what you're about to do and what's about to happen, and then all of a sudden he just kind of lifts up into the clouds and they just stood there for a minute looking thinking. It took a couple angels to come and say, hey, what are y'all waiting for? What are y'all, what are y'all waiting for? Let's go. I imagine they had this question, well, now, now what do we do? Now, now, now what do we do? Up to this point, Jesus had led his disciples by his presence. He had been with them everywhere that they would go, and now Jesus wants to lead him by a different presence. He wanted to lead them by the Holy Spirit. They're about to be led in a very different way, And in Acts chapter 2, we see that promise of the Holy Spirit come to pass. Let's read this, and then we'll unpack it. On the day of Pentecost, which, by the way, is a very important Jewish festival, one of three Jewish festivals where everybody from all over would come and ascend upon Jerusalem. On the day of Pentecost, all the Lord's followers were together in one place. Suddenly there was a noise from heaven like the sound of a mighty wind, It filled the house where they were meeting, and then they saw what looked like fiery tongues moving in all directions, and a tongue came and settled on each person there. 
the Holy Spirit took control of everyone and they began speaking whatever languages the Spirit let them speak. He told them it was going to look different, didn't he? It looked completely different. Verse 5, many religious Jews from every country in the world were living in Jerusalem. And when they heard this noise, a crowd gathered. But they were surprised, look at this, because they were hearing everything in their own languages. They were excited and amazed and said, don't all these who are speaking come from Delcom? How how could all of these people speak in these languages? I I know what people from Delcom sound like, and they they don't sound like some of these languages that that are coming. No, it wasn't Delcom. It was Galilee, but you get the point. Verse 8, then why do we hear them speaking our very own languages? Some of us are from Parthia, Media, and Elam. Others are from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya near Cyrene, Rome, Crete, and Arabia. Here's the point. These weren't just people from like different parts of Acadiana, right? It's not like we had some folks from Baldwin and Generet up in here as well, some people from Abbeville and Erath. And that, that wasn't it. They were from all over the world. I, I've, got, I've got a map I want to put on the screen to kind of show you what we're talking about. All the places that they just named that were present there came from all over the known world. In this moment, God chose to use this moment, this feast, this opportunity with all of these different kinds of people gathered together in one place at one time. And there was never a better time for God to show the Jewish people that he intended to touch people from all over the world. Y'all see that? It's a big deal. It's a big deal. Verse 11. Some of us were born Jews, and others of us have chosen to be Jews. Yet we all hear them using our own languages to tell the wonderful things God has done. Everyone was excited and confused. Some of them even kept asking each other, what does all this mean? You may be sitting there saying, okay, Pastor Don, you just read the first two chapters of Acts. What does all this mean? Here's the point. This was not the first time in Scripture that we see the Holy Spirit moving and active. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit were existing before anything else was existing from the beginning of time. And throughout our Bible, through reading the Old Testament, even the New Testament up to this point, we see the Holy Spirit active and moving. But watch this. It was always about um, specific types of people that the Holy Spirit would move upon. It was prophets and priests and kings. It was, just, it was just that previously the Holy Spirit would only come upon those people and only them, those people specifically could be used for the work of the Holy Spirit. What was so unique about this is that for the first time we see the Holy Spirit coming upon normal people, everyday people, and giving them the power to go and do what God had called them to do. Y'all see that? Have I done an okay job setting the stage? God wanted to do something as soon as Jesus left, and he needed the disciples to go and do it. But in order to accomplish what the disciples were called to do individually, they needed the Holy Spirit. And they were all together in one place, but all very different, all empowered with some same heart, same mind, and same Mission. You remember what Jesus said would happen when this Holy Spirit comes upon you? What would you receive? Power. You would receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. 
The last time we hear of the Apostle Peter in Scripture prior to this point is he has cowardly denied Jesus. He has isolated, gone behind the scenes, away from everybody else, and he's gone back to his old job of fishing and mending and keeping the nets. But what happens? What do we see in Peter? What comes on Peter in this moment when the Holy Spirit comes upon him? Now look what he does. Verse 14. Peter stood with the 11 apostles, and he spoke in a loud and a clear voice to the crowd. Friends and everyone living in Jerusalem, listen carefully to what I have to say. He took this moment where everybody was around and confused at what God was doing, and a boldness and a power came on him that he hadn't experienced before, and he gets up and he preaches, and he begins to preach by sharing a prophecy that the prophet Joel spoke about 870 years before that time. And here's the first part of Peter's sermon, verse 16. This is what God had the prophet Joel say. When the last days come, I will give my spirit to who? Everyone. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions, and your old men will have dreams. In those days, I will give my, spirits, my spirit to my servants, both men and women, and they will prophesy. I will work miracles in the sky above and wonders on the earth below. Look at this. Don't miss it. Everyone, not just prophets, not just priests, not just kings, not the elites, everyone was to receive this Holy Spirit. Not just sons, but daughters also. Not just young, but the old as well. Not just the elite and the upper class, but the middle class and the lower class and everybody in between. Everybody was to receive God's Spirit because God wants to use everybody to accomplish His plan. Y'all see that in Scripture, what's happening? There was never a better time for God to show the Jewish people that he was ready to create a new community, a Christian community, a Christian community made up of people from every walk of life in order to bring about his mission. It's like he's saying this, here's what I'm about to do. I'm about to go use everyone, not just this age or this gender or this nationality or this demographic. I want to use everyone to accomplish my plan for his life. Who's everyone? You know what the Greek word for everyone translated into English really means? Everyone. It means everyone. I'm going to illustrate it this way. I've asked a couple people to come on stage and help me um, for just a minute. This is the time where you stand up and come on stage. Yes, I'm talking to you. There we go. I'm going to show you something that, that God put in my heart. One of the things I love about our church is how different our church is. Not everybody here looks the same. Not everybody here comes from the same background and the same walk of life. It's different. Everybody's different. And when I love, I think about these people and these, these, these individuals that have come, Mr. Whitney and Q and Patrice and Carol and Jory and Karina, Ryan and Cody. Listen, could there be a more diverse group of folks we could have assembled up here across the stage? No, same heart same mind, all specifically placed here by God. 
That's the neat part about it. I didn't go and recruit them. I didn't go knock on Cody's door and say, hey, you want to come to church? This church is a really nice one. I think you'd appreciate coming. I think God would change your life if you'd show up and be here today. No, it didn't happen that way. God brought him here. And if we went story by story across the stage, and I went story by story out here, God brought you into this church. The Bible tells us that he places the lonely in families, and he's building his church. Here's the neat thing about it. This, this term one accord that I told you about that had this neat connotation. Look, look at this quote that we find in the lexicon. Here's what it says. I'm talking about one accord. It helps us understand the uniqueness of the Christian community. The image is almost musical. A number of notes are sounded, which while different, harmonize in pitch and tone as the instruments of a great concert under the direction of a concert master. So the Holy Spirit blends together the lives of members of Christ's church. Think about this for just a second. God's plan for the unity of believers is to be almost musical. Let me show, let me show you what that means. It means if, I, if I'm sitting here with Q and God's wanting to do something in Q's life and God says, Q, this is what I have for you. I need you to go and be my witness. Every time Q says yes and every time he steps forward and says, okay, God, I'll go, this is what it sounds like. Just a note, just one. And if I go down here, I'm saying, Carol, I want you to do something. God's got a plan for your life. And every time Carol says yes to what God has for him, it sounds like this. Different. But the same. If we go down, Karina, what, what God has planned for you, you need to do because only you can do it. When she obeys God and says, yes, I'll do it, it sounds like this. And when we can go each person at a time, there's a specific note that rings in heaven when somebody says, yes, I'll do it. Amen. It's kind of neat the way it sounds. It's almost, almost musical. But what happens if I take somebody who is different from somebody else who is different from somebody else. And like a master director of an orchestra, I ask each of them to do something and all three of them say, yes, God, I'll do it and I'll do it together with others. What does it sound like when these three come together to do that? It's different. Not just a note. It's different. It's different. Y'all can step back. And, and, and Patrice, if you, if you were to say yes to God, and Mr. Whitney, if you were to say yes to God, and God's trying to work, and Ryan, if you, if you were to stand forward and say yes to God, what would it sound like if these people said yes to what God wanted them to do and the uniqueness that he had given them, Isaac? And I just got to thinking, what would happen if instead of God needing each individual person to say yes to what he'd called them to be, what if they were all to stand up and say yes together? Because here's the challenge. Y'all can step back. The enemy knows that God has a plan and a purpose for each of us. And what we see in this story, what we see in the book of Acts, is that God has a plan to use everyone, regardless of their age, regardless of their demographic, regardless of their socioeconomic status, regardless of their gender, God wants to use everyone regardless of those things. But can I tell you something we also see? God wants to use everybody specifically because of those differences as well. I'll tell you how I know that. Because the enemy likes to lie to people. He likes to lie to people. 
He likes to come and he says, you've missed your moment. It's, you, you can't do what God's called you to do. You're on the other side of, of that. He's going to tell you, you, you're too young. You, you, can't, you, can't accomplish, you can't accomplish what God wants you to do. And he's going to tell you, ministry is something that men do. It's, it's not something that women can do and, and be a part of that. You're with me, the enemy lies. The enemy lies. Listen, it's a different lie, but it's the same liar. We act like the enemy's got all these different plays that he runs, but he doesn't. It's the same play over and over and over again to do that. He, he lies to people and says, your background is such that, that you've already disqualified yourself from moving in ministry and you can't do anything because of, of all the things that you were a part of and all the past that God has, has, has had for you that you said no to and you rejected it and you left it alone. And, and now you've missed your opportunity to go and do something amazing for God. It's the same lie. He comes in and says, you haven't lived a background that is even half as jacked up as some of the people you're trying to minister to. There's no way you can relate to them. You haven't messed up enough. You've messed up too much. You haven't messed up enough. It's the same liar, just different lies. Y'all see this? The Holy Spirit wants to come and says, I'm not going to fix what's wrong with you. I'm going to use you where you are to do that. You're too young. And he's telling the person next to you, you're too old. Well, which one is it? You're too jacked up to be any good. You're not jacked up enough. Which one is it? You're a guy. You're a gal. You're white. White people can't go there. You're black. Black people can't do that. It's a different lie, but the same who? The same liar. And here's what we see in these moments. Because if each of the people on stage and each of us out here and all the people in God's house were to sit there and refuse to accept the lie and were to sit and think maybe the Holy Spirit has come to give me power to do what God has called me to do and every time God calls we start stepping up and we say yes, I'll do it. I'll do it, God. I'll do it. You can use me. I don't care what my past is. I don't care what the future is. I'm just going to step up, and I'm going to do what God has called me to do. And let's let the master orchestrate what he wants to do in the way he wants to do it. And I can only imagine what it sounds like in heaven when all throughout a region, people who are different, who have nothing in common, yet still have everything in common. Different walks, rich, poor, young, old, step up. What do you think it sounds like in heaven when a church stands up and says, we'll do it, God. We'll do it. We'll go. We'll stay. Thank you guys very much for helping me. I want to that you can be seated. When you understand that Jesus made you specifically for a purpose and he made you on purpose in order to meet that purpose, I'm thinking about Daryl sitting over there on the, on the third row. Daryl, there are people you'll be able to reach that I could never reach. Think about David who's sitting right behind him. David, there are people you reach that I could never reach. 
The enemy wants to get us so divided by focusing on what makes us unique. Can I tell you, the thing that makes us unique is the very thing that God will use in that moment. What God can't use is not difference. God can use difference. God just can't use division. And the enemy can't do anything about how different you are, but he can absolutely play a card to show you how divided you can be. And when we talk about being in one accord, that's what I mean. All of us from different walks of life, different, yet God using us in his way, for his purpose, for his timing. You're supposed to be different. And God wants to use that difference. You're not broken. You didn't grow up in the wrong house. You, you weren't born on the wrong side of town. God knew exactly who you were going to be. The things that he wanted to have, the life experiences he wanted you to have. And God's going to use every single bit of it to reach people who would never be reached until you stepped up to say, yes, God, I'll go and do what you've called me to do. Can you see that? Listen, the image is almost musical. It's a number of notes that are sounded, which, while different, harmonize in pitch and tone. And as the instruments of a great concert on the direction of a concert master. God doesn't want you to be different for different sake. He wants you to be used by you because of your difference. And what was so powerful of that day is what can be so powerful of our day to day. We can be in one accord, unified as a body, same heart, same vision, same mission, to show Acadiana, not to tell them, to show Acadiana what it looks like when all of us say yes to God together. That's what it's supposed to look like. That's why the church spread. That's why the church spread. People look and say, man, I, I'm different, but I see myself in them. I'm, I'm different, but I see myself in them. And when we can start to see all the ways that we're the same despite the fact that we're different. That voice of the enemy that lies to you and tells you you can't because of this or you shouldn't because of that gets quieter and quieter and quieter. And every time you say yes to God, it is easier to say yes the next time. That's what we're about. I see a church that God brings people from all over into one place so that while together they can receive the Holy Spirit to empower them, to fill them, to go home to their communities, to go to their different schools, to go to their different places of employment and spread the gospel that way. And to witness not out of what they say, but to witness out of what they show and I got news for you folks if it worked for the people then it'll work for us here today we come together every Sunday so that we can receive the Holy Spirit fill us full give us the power we need to overcome those lies that the enemy has been leaving and I want you to leave here today filled and full and overflowing so you can go back to the place where God has you and brought you from to make a difference not here there 
there. That's what God has for us today. Now to be of the same heart, you have to have been given a new heart to begin with. You have to be given a new heart. Jesus said you cannot see the kingdom of heaven, you can't even enter into the kingdom of heaven unless you've been born again. Not the kind of birth that happens from your mother when she gave birth to you, but the kind of birth that doesn't bring you to life physically, but a kind of birth that brings you to life spiritually. That part of you that is dead and a cold and a hardened heart, breathed life into by the very creator comes and moves us from being spiritually dead to spiritually alive. That's the kind of heart that we're talking about. And you may be here today and you may be far from God. I'm here in the pew, but God seems like he's so far away. I don't know why I'm here today, Pastor Don, but but God is speaking to me. You may be here and have had a relationship with God at one point, but because of the life, because of the lies that you've been listening, you don't have that same relationship with with him anymore. He hasn't been a priority for you. Look at me, church. I wish you had my peace I wish you had my joy. I wish you had my passion for doing this. Can I tell you you can? Can I tell you it's possible? And can I tell you just as God gave it to them, he wants to give it to you as well. Bow your heads and close your eyes. I want to ask you a question. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Don, I don't have that relationship with God that you talk about. I don't know if I would have used those exact words the same way you did, but, but I feel lost spiritually. I'm separated from God. I don't know if I died today, if I would spend eternity in heaven with him. I, I just don't know. God hasn't been a priority. Being obedient to him hasn't been a priority in my life. But you said something today that resonated with me, Pastor Don, and it's almost as like from the inside out, I'm starting to believe something about my relationship with God and who he has for me and the things he wants for me. But I haven't accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior yet, and I'm wanting to do that. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you don't have the peace that I have. You don't have the joy that I have, and you won't have the passion that I have, but you can. It's as simple as A, B, C. A, it's admit that you're a sinner, that your own willful choices have separated you from a righteous and a holy and a loving God. We have decided on our own to separate ourselves through our sin. And we admit it today. B is believing believing that our Heavenly Father sent His one and only Son as a gift to us to live a life that we could not live, to pay a debt we could not pay. And see, confessing Him as Lord and Savior. Not just that He is God's Son, but He's my Savior and my Lord, that His way is better. 
And this is a decision that you cannot make from the outside in and hope that by making it on the outside, it's going to change on the inside. This is the decision that the Bible says you can't even make unless you see it on the inside. And if that's you and your heart is tugging today, and you'll say, Pastor Don, can you pray with me? I want to know Jesus. I want to know this joy and this peace and this passion that you have. I want to, u- I want to be used by the Holy Spirit to make a difference. And I need a new heart. If that's you and you want me to pray with you, I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm not going to ask you to stand up. I am just going to ask you to raise your hand so that I can know who I'm praying with today. If that's you and you'd like to be born again today, can I ask you to raise your hand so I can see who I'm praying with? Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you. I see your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand in the balcony. Thank you. I see your hand. One more time before we move on. Thank you. I see your hand. relationship with Jesus. I want him to use me. Those of you that raise your hand, I'm going to invite you to pray a prayer with me. It's not the prayer that saves you. God is his Holy Spirit. Breathe life into you that even allowed you to raise your hand. But this prayer will help acknowledge what God is doing in your heart. I'm going to ask all of us to pray this prayer with us, symbolic of the fact that nobody walks through Christianity alone. We all do this together. But you specifically, if you raise your hand, I want you to pray with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for it. I believe you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to follow you with all my heart, no matter what it costs me. God is my Father, Jesus is my helper, and heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Can we celebrate with those?